welcome back to the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brading and I'm here with Sophos experts Mark Stockley. Hi Anna Brading. Hi Mark Stockley and Greg Gidden. Greg Gidden, yep, my name's hard to say. Hi, really hi Anna Brading, it's nice Thanks. to be with you in this room I, yet again. It's, uh, maybe I should call you Gregory Gidden. I prefer that. Okay. What about Greg Gidden? Sounds like I'm in trouble Gregadon. though. I don't get the full name. It's always like, and something bad's happened. Well, yeah, telling you off. Um, Is that what with- your mum used to do? But tell me off. No, and use your full dad. name. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they did give it like to if me. If they pull out your They're middle name, to. you're in real trouble. Oh, the oh. middle name. Yeah. yeah. So when it becomes a different name, like the dog's name, then you know something's up. What about you who don't have a middle name? How do you get told off? Sorry, I'm, I think we need to go back to this whole using the dog as the middle name thing. I'm confused no, here. just as any name. You know when just someone can't be bothered to remember your name? Greg Fido Iden, come here. <laughs> Anyway, I like the re- I, that resonates with me. I like that. Fido, we can call you Fido. Isn't it's it? a lot oh, easier to pronounce. It's to actually fair, easier. Yeah. yeah. Um, coming up on <laughs> Introducing today. Sophos experts Fido, Mark Stockley, <laughs> and Fido. <laughs> <laughs> there will be some cybersecurity later. Can I on. talk about what's going on on this show? <laughs> sure, we'll let you. Yeah. If you must, Mark will be talking about the cyber bunker bust. Greg will be talking about the OMG cable going mass market, and I'll be talking about what you can do to secure your laptop. Mark. Yes. You're going to take us on a journey into the darkness, aren't you? I am. Before I do that, can I take you on a journey into space? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a journey through time and space. Cross. Okay, you're going to ask us a question? Oh, it's thing, not actually Mark. a question. I stumbled across something and I thought, when I heard it, I thought I'm going to bring that into the podcast because I think that's quite interesting. Okay. Because one of the things that interests me about cybersecurity and computing and IT in general is how advice from one area kind of often crosses over into another. Yeah. That we get into these situations where we're, you know, siloed and we have conferences about our thing. But actually, there's a bunch of other people doing similar stuff elsewhere. And what they find out and what they learn is often relevant. And I was uh, just kind of, I was on YouTube and I disappeared down a YouTube hole and I ended up watching a video of an interview with Elon Musk. And the interview was by a guy called Tim Dodd, who's got a YouTube channel called The Accidental Astronaut. Right. And on this channel, he goes into like incredible depth about rocketry and how rockets work. And it's I've just discovered this. It's super interesting. I didn't have any particular interest in rockets. I just ended up watching this video because YouTube. And uh, Elon Musk is obviously, he's clearly delighted to be interviewed by this guy because the guy is interviewing him is an expert and understands how rockets work. Yeah. And Elon Musk is actually the chief engineer at SpaceX. He doesn't just own the company and run the company. He's also the chief engineer. So he's a super, super rocket nerd. Mm. So he wants to talk about all the technicalities. But during the course of the conversation, he said a few things about how he runs SpaceX. And they, they have this, they move incredibly quickly and they make decisions incredibly quickly. And the same is true of Tesla as well. And he said a few things and they really stuck out for me. And the first thing he said is one of the one of the fundamental errors made in advanced development, and he's talking about rockets here, is to stick to a design even when it's very complicated and to not strive to delete parts or processes. And then he goes on a bit later and he talks about one of the biggest traps for smart engineers is optimising something that shouldn't exist which is kind of a different way of saying the same point. Mm. And I have, it was, I thought he articulated really well something that I've run into in a bunch of different fields, you know, building websites, working in IT and things like that. And I thought, actually, that's great advice for cybersecurity. Yeah. I think that's, it's true of engineers across the field. I don't know what you think, Greg, but it feels to me like a few years ago that the the popular terminology, uh, like the sort of, the term terminology du jour 
it was all about attack surface. Everybody mm. wanted to talk about attack surface. And it's kind of, everyone wants to talk about threat modelling now. Yep. But attack surface hasn't gone away. And one of the best ways of increasing your attack surface is to never get rid of anything. Never delete anything. Never remove any old computers. Never remove any old software. It's like OpenSSL, right? Like yeah. later versions just dropping old cipher suites and so on so that they just don't exist anymore and they can't suddenly, you know, like a few years later find a vulnerability in it. Yeah. yeah by dropping old functionality, old code, things that aren't necessary, superfluous stuff, there's just less code for there to be bugs in. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I guarantee you there'll be uh, people listening to this who are in charge of uh, company networks, little company networks, big company networks, and they will have a laundry list of the systems they're dying to get rid of. Mm. And there'll mm -hmm. be programmers who are listening to this, and they will have a laundry list of the bits of the program that they're working on that they want to redo, that they want to get rid of, that they want to refactor. Like, the world of computing is full of this stuff. It's full of stuff that doesn't need to exist. It's full of parts and processes that we should be striving to delete. And there's all sorts of good reasons for deleting them, and one of them is... Uh, to reduce our attack surface. So, wisdom from Elon for cybersecurity. What do yeah. you reckon? Is that the, is that finally your question? What do you reckon? No, it wasn't a question. <laughs> it was it was more of a discourse. He also like said in the course he's of this interview, wisdomous. <laughs> he's very wisdomous. <laughs> he's full of that he's very wisdomous. Uh, he also says in the course of that interview, he says the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is the best book on philosophy ever. And oh, if he'd said nothing else, that would have been that. enough for me. Yeah. The, if you, the video, by the way, if you want to go and find it, is a conversation with Elon Musk about Starship, which is his new spaceship. We can put it in the show notes. Yep. Fido. Uh, oh, I've got Harry, Harry the intern's tapping his watch at me. <gasps> Outrageous. Fido, <laughs> we, we, we talked about the OMG cable a while ago. So what's, what's new now? Well, okay, so for anyone that may have missed the yep. previous talk about the OMG cable, it's effectively think of a, a, a lightning cable for an iOS device, iPhones and so on, um, but it's been made a bit evil. Uh, so there's this really cool guy called MG, that's his Twitter handle, I think it's like underscore MG underscore, uh, and they've been working on this malicious or like kind of pen testing cable. Yep. And what's kind of interesting is that like instead of it just being... Uh, a lot of pen testing tools are quite obvious. It's like a USB stick you plug in, it looks a bit dodgy and so on. This is a cable. So it could you could have a normal phone connected to it. Right. You could replace someone's legitimate cable with mm. it. So it's quite an easy way to innocuously sneak a, a malicious cable into and someone's it, network. And it's a teeny weeny cable. It's a teeny weeny cable. Like the entire electronics are like hidden yeah. inside the end of the, you know, where the old USB-B type, is it USB-B? Am I going wrong? I forget not, what not my is. area. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know the, the the standard kind of big square if it, chunk if it USB fits one. In the yeah. Hole in the and side it, of the laptop. It's good enough. Rectangular. But yeah, and, and so, but it fits in the so end of that cable. So it looks like any old lightning cable that exactly. you would think. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But so, so the the, uh, the creator of this kind of originally did it as sort of a bit of an exploration. I think they were doing something called Demon Seed, which is a, a kind of like an open source maker kit for that. But they're now going to bring into production on like Hack Five these these kind of OMG evil lightning cables. Yeah. But what makes them quite crazy is that we're now starting to see what it's going to be capable of doing and it does seem to have a rather interesting and quite impressive list of features so um my the personal one i think is quite clever is is the problem when you plug in any of these pen testing tools you plug it into a computer if someone plugs it in it reveals that it does something dodgy right because you plug in a keyboard in, into your computer and your computer knows it's got a new keyboard yeah anyone has a mac or something you plug it in it brings up that wizard saying you've plugged in a keyboard so if you plugged in a, a lightning cable and it thought you plugged in a, like a keyboard you've or a plugged camera in or, an evil device yeah it would <laughs> 
<laughs> and so there's this idea of like, how do you avoid being, uh, how, how do you avoid the operating system enumerating the USB devices mm. and bringing up those dialogues? So they found a way to stealthily not get detected until they execute their payload. So they're not going to get enumerated by the operating system until they Sneaky. deliver a payload. So yeah. That's kind of clever. The other thing is it's going to have a built-in Wi-Fi transceiver. So it can both send and receive sort of Wi-Fi data. And the idea is it acts like a hotspot. So for about 100 meter range, you can just sneak that cable in someone, they plug it into their computer and about 100 meters away, you can connect to it via Wi-Fi right. and start delivering payloads to it. And one of the payloads that's come out now is one which is called Lock Scream. Um, so like, you know, screaming like, ah! That's that's a yep. lovely noise I just made. Um, <laughs> it was a great scream. It was, thanks. We can make that on the soundboard later. So lock screams kind of funky because it's it's a tool that is, so it's a payload that you deliver via this cable again, yep. you know, remotely, and it will then present like a fake lock screen on the target's computer. Now it looks just like their real lock screen, and it will even validate their username and password when they type it in. But it can then steal those credentials. Right, you wow. can push like a fake screensaver as well, do the same thing. And so it's a great way to steal uh, to steal passwords yep. and then get them off the device. Uh, you can remotely like upgrade this thing. You can remotely nuke it so that there's if anyone you know anyone finds the cable later on, they won't be able to figure out what it did because they've kind of cleared all the data that's stored on it, so right. they won't know what it was doing. And then the other thing is it supports something called Ducky Script, which came from the USB rubber Ducky, which was. Um, it's a scripting language you you would you would put um, onto like a USB stick. You plug it in, and it pretends to be a keyboard. So the scripting language uh, is it will let you type in your script. You can say press the Windows key, press this other command, and you can literally build unless your script via virtual keyboard instructions. It's literally you write a script as if well press this key on the keyboard, then press this key, then that key, and then type these words and so on. And so you can pretty much build any kind of attack you want yeah. but you can also do it really quickly because it's a script faster than any human can do it yeah. Um, so yeah this is this is going to come to market and yet another crazy pen testing tool um, unlike other devices which are like a USB stick or something obvious this is just a cable right. which means someone could swap your cable out or something like that so there's a little bit of craziness there so it's, it's sort of it was used particularly targeted attacks I mean I guess it's a targeted yeah. it's a piece whatever. of hardware someone yeah. would have to use it for targeting um, it's certainly not something we should all be scared of um, I don't think you should I'm stop. scared well I mean it is yeah, kind of scary I mean I'm a little bit scared but especially but when, I am scared yeah <laughs> well especially when we're in the industry where you're more likely to encounter people that have bought one right um, I but, presume it looks it's going to look different to the sort of standard Apple no does it look quite no, it doesn't look so almost wow. like that. I, from the screenshots and pictures I've seen so far, I can't really tell the difference. Wow. Okay. So I but guess this I mean, was a real labour of love, wasn't it? This is if you go back to the original story, mm. that this guy spent months figuring out basically how to get the kitchen sink mm. into the tiniest cable you can imagine without anybody being able to tell. Yeah. And now having done that. He's worked out, okay, well, how do we industrialise the process of getting the kitchen sink into this cable? Yeah. Um, so that anybody can make use of this terrifying new mm. way of uh, poning your computer. Yeah, yeah, well, he's worked with the PCB, sort of the, the, the kind of the little motherboard on these tiny little chips. The manufacturer of the, well, the printer or the big device you use to make these PCBs, they actually have got, it says you can only make something to a certain scale, yet this guy MG's figured out how to make it even smaller than that and is now working with them to help them, you know, kind of improve their processes and so on. So now their devices support 
even smaller manufacturing that you can do at home. So this isn't something you need to send off to sort of like to Taiwan or China to be mass produced in a big factory. It's something you could buy like a eight or nine hundred dollar machine and start building these things at home and hide them inside like any USB stick, uh, mm-hmm. USB cable, USB stick, and so on. So it's certainly a revealing that we're gonna we need to be a little bit more careful with the hardware that we look at. You know, if someone's trying to give you a USB cable or or you find one lying around, maybe don't just willy nilly use it. Now that we know this is potentially a, a possibility. Um, you know, you don't leave your computers unattended. You know, this is kind of standard, right? If someone's trying to target you, if they, if you leave your computer lying around, they can mess around with it. Uh, and I I guess that's the only advice we can offer now, apart from some fear mongering. Hold on to your your cables. Hold on to your cables. I've got to say, this gives me a slightly queasy feeling because the, the, the purpose of doing this is to put a tool in the hands of pen testers Mm -hmm so that they can go around demonstrating weaknesses in your uh, your office and your network and things like that. But actually, what it's going to demonstrate is weaknesses that existed in theory but were quite hard to exploit prior to somebody inventing the cable that allowed you to go around demonstrating that you had these weaknesses. So it's kind of simultaneously magicked the weakness and <laughs> the cure for the weakness mm. at the same time. And also, like you were saying earlier before we were recording, I think you said you were at DEFCON and there was, this, there was lots and lots of chatter and excitement about yeah. this. And I think it's it's kind of, you know, maybe we don't want to look it in the eye, but the truth is that this stuff is sexy. Like being on the red team is sexy, right? It's sexier than being on the blue team. And these kind of things, they're a bit cool. It's a very it's fun like, gadget, yeah. Everyone's excited about the fact that this thing exists. But actually this is, you know, there's there's no... There's no firewall that stops people from abusing this technology. This yeah. this has made a bunch of bad stuff a whole lot easier than it used to be. Every time you make it easy to to run an exploit or to demonstrate an exploit, you you make it easier for everybody. Yeah. Um, and you hope that when you do that, there's a there's a net benefit. Like the the blue team gets. I mean, More advantage a, in the red, right? There could be a benefit from this. I mean, this has been done in the open. It's not like this author no, did this right, in the se- in yeah. secret. Yes. And what I quite like about it is that we can, I think we can infer from this that nation states have been doing this longer and more uh, lucrative criminals. I mean, so MG said it cost him about $4,000 for all the equipment and 300 and something odd hours of personal time on this project to learn it and figure it out. Mm. So we know that any other actual invested attacker who did That's this true. in the dark has already done this. Yeah. So I think what at least we can get from this is, yes, okay, now there's going to be some kind of mass produced. It might not be mass produced. It might, it might be a limited number of them that are out there. But it's. But it you least, won't have to repeat his process in order to do the same thing. It's very thing. true. That's it's been trivialised. Yes, you can, but at you least can we solve can it learn with money it. instead of work mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Yeah. Mark? Yes. Right? Aren't you going to take us on a journey into the darkness? <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> so we've been into space already, and I know you all enjoyed that. Uh, but now we are going to go into the darkness. Not just any old darkness, though. We are oh. going into the darkest of darknesses. We're going into the deep, dark and despicable depths of the dark web. And the dark web (laughs) is a realm of, we call it the dark web, but it's, you could just as easily call it the dark net. It's a realm of the internet where what you do is kept secret and anonymous with the mystical use of encryption. And how does that, so we used to talk much more often about the deep web. Yeah. How does that relate to... So the deep web, so famously the deep web is kind of 90% of the internet. Or so the right. so the the trope has it. That, the, you know, the deep web is bigger than the visible part of right. the internet. Yep. Um, 
So the deep web is kind of everything that's behind a login screen, everything that can't be indexed by a search engine. Okay. So uh, for, I think in terms of event horizons, like there's the amount of the internet that it's worth Google spending time mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to index. Yeah. And then there's everything else. So deep web isn't necessarily the bad stuff. But dark web. Deep web is there's some bad stuff in the deep web, but there's also a whole load of development websites mm -hmm. and staging websites mm -hmm. and every Facebook page that you've got to log in to get to, that's in the deep web. Yep. Um and just by the way, I did once actually do some investigation to find out if the deep web really was. Like to find the origin of that, the deep web is ninety yeah. percent of the internet. And it it's just one of those things that people say to each other. Somebody said it somewhere and it sounded good, and then everybody repeated it, and because everybody's repeated it. Everybody thinks it's true. Citation there's, there's, needed, There's right? no source for this at all. Anyway, so so that's the deep web. The dark web is the bit of the web that's accessible through Tor. And Tor, uh, basically you access Tor through three servers, and each server is aware of the server behind it and the server in front of it. Right. So by the time you've passed through three of them, the source of your traffic is obscured. So if you do that if you join the web doing that and you browse a website that's done the same thing, you meet on a computer called a rendezvous point and your IP address and their IP address is obscured and that's why it's dark. Right. Because you don't know mm -hmm. who you're talking to, you don't know what their IP address is and therefore you don't know where they're geographically located. And the really interesting thing about the dark web is that it is absolutely tiny. There have been multiple efforts to index the dark web and they always come back with the same result. The dark web is much, much smaller than you think it is. Yeah. Like tens of thousands of sites, tens of thousands of nodes, rather than the sort of billions of websites that you find on the World Wide Web. That said, the kind of people who want to go into that small dark space are the kind of people, very often, who've got really, really bad stuff to hide. Anyway, the good news is the dark web, although it's small, is smaller now than it was a couple of weeks ago. And that's because uh, that's thanks to German law enforcement who raided an old NATO bunker in Germany and shut down uh, an organisation called Cyberbunker, which Ooh. was a so-called bulletproof hosting provider or dark web hosting provider. And they were hosting the worst of the worst. So those guys that need to hide in the darkness. Um, cyber attacks, arms trafficking, child abuse, drugs, stolen information, all that kind of stuff. Weren't they at one point hosting the Pirate Bay? They were, they were. It's also emerged since the raid. So they, you're right, they were hosting the, the Pirate Bay at one point. Um, they uh, were hosting a bunch of different websites. So they were hosting some famous dark web marketplaces. One was called the Wall Street Market, which Greg, I think you've heard of. No comment. No. <laughs> it's Rick. pretty well known. It's like the most popular uh, drugs website. It's huge. It's like talks about all of the internet. Yeah. I wouldn't know. Well, it was. But yeah, it's, it's gone, gone now, now, I guess. Mm. Um, You're going to have to move. So it's kind of like... <laughs> It's kind of like eBay for drugs. Yeah, right. But at, what happens if you trace through the history of these stories is that, um, you know, the biggest marketplace gets knocked down and then another website emerges. And then a few months later or a few years later, there's some, you know, FBI raid and then that's gone and then mm. another website emerges. Well, this is this happens to be the latest episode. There was also a website called Cannabis Road. You'll never guess what they did. There was a website Road? called Fraudsters. You probably won't be able to guess what they did either. Uh, and there was another drug market called Flight Vamp 2.0. So 13 people have been uh, uh, accused of being part of running this operation and seven of those people have been arrested. Um, yeah, you mentioned the Pirate Bay. Interestingly enough, servers on this in this cyber bunker were also implicated in command and control for the Mirai botnet, which you'll remember from a few years ago. So Mirai was the... Uh, 
uh, it was the mm. the malware that recruited Internet of Things devices yeah. into and a like bot ISPs routers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that was used for some really massive denial of service attacks. Uh, and a denial of service attack that predated Mirai against Spam House in 2013 has also been traced back to the Cyber Bunker. So Cyber Bunker big time was big time, mm. but Cyber Bunker is no more. Now the really interesting thing about Cyber Bunker for me is the location. So this thing is located; uh, it's five floors underground in a heavily fortified. 5,000 square metre Cold War era bunker. It's like from films, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Like this thing, and Let's you've got to imagine, imagine this, it. so this giant concrete bunker surrounded by barbed wire and security cameras. Yeah, wow. Um, so nothing to see, nothing to hide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> move along, yeah. move along. So the really interesting question is, if the purpose of the dark web is to make you anonymous, mm-hmm. uh, remember it hides your IP address and your IP address is allocated geographically, so hiding your IP address also hides your physical location. Why do you need all this physical security, all the barbed wire, all the fences, all the concrete, if you're on the dark web? Mm. Yeah? And the reason is because although the dark web is really, really dark, it is not perfectly dark. No. And there are ways to get busted on the dark web, even with all that anonymity tech Mm protecting you and this you know when we talk about tour we're talking about expensive stuff developed by darpa and the u.s navy um this is you know it's sophisticated things but there are ways that law enforcement uh can sort of get around the protections of the dark web and they seem to be doing this fairly successfully there is a stream of these high profile raids and these things are a big deal by the way so this thing was five years in the making this raid so it's it's hard work to unmask people on the dark web but it can be done and we've seen uh, a whole bunch of different ways that law enforcement have managed to do that. The one thing they don't seem to be able to do is crack the encryption, which is probably good news, actually, because, mm. you know, mm. it, it's good to have encryption that can't be cracked. Um, but the kind of tactics that we see them using is, uh, you know, drug market uh, admins have been located, you know, boasting on Reddit previously and, and sort of they forgot the fact that although their dark website is hidden, if they make themselves known on Reddit, then the mm. FBI can go to Reddit and issue them with a subpoena and say, you better tell us all about this, you know. Crazy. This yeah, all the user. addresses from this user, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and also, often there are links, basically where you link to the real world is, is often your downfall. So we've seen situations in the past where, you know, if you order some drugs online, it has to be sent somewhere from somewhere. So there's actually, there's a moment <laughs> where you join the physical, yeah. the physical web um, and also, if you're creating parcels to send to somebody, there's a good chance that your parcel's got your fingerprints all over it. Right, you know? yeah. And so that's a way that people have been uh, located mm. in the past. And also, even in the technology, there are things that, you know, um, it turns out in the history of these things, you know, criminals are no better at setting up servers than, than everyone else. They don't have some special, unique set of skills. And actually, they've got some, in some cases, more like trickier things to do. Um, and they make mistakes like everybody else. And those configuration mistakes can also lead to people being unmasked. Um, so, you know, it can be as simple as if you put a photograph up, uh, if it's got metadata in it. Yeah. The metadata often says where the photo was taken. And when, mm. and that, you know, so it doesn't matter how anonymous you are on tour if your tour site's got a photo that says where you are. Yeah. Um, and then finally you get into, we don't know what they did here, we can only speculate, but the FBI in the past, for example, have actually gone as far as putting malware on people's machines. You know, they've taken over dark websites and they've used them to host malware and then the malware has, has acted like a tracking beacon on the, uh, against the people that have visited that website. Mm. 
So normally at the end of each segment we would give some actionable advice, but there's not really much we can give here, is there? Well, the, well, the thing is, there is. It's a question of whether or not we want to do that. So, I mean, we've up till now we've been talking about the dark web as being mm. a place where bad things happen, and it really is. Um, and there are people that like to gloss over that. But the fact is the technology is u- neutral and, you know, secure... Uh, encryption and communications technology is important and it can be used for good you know yeah. so it's used by um you know journalists it's used by um activists and mm-hmm. dissidents and people like that um to keep themselves safe from state uh, apparatus um so yeah it, it comes down to a question of do we want to offer advice and i've actually got some first hand experience of of having to make that decision you know i was uh helping out last year with some research on a um uh, we'll just say uh, a gang that were conducting some very, very bad ransomware attacks. Ooh. And during the course of that research, uh, I discovered a weakness in the way that they had set up their dark website that actually revealed a lot of information about where that dark website was. <laughs> Didn't tell us perfectly where it was, but it gave us basically told us what hosting company they were using. Wow. And so when we published details about that research... Uh, we had to make a decision about whether or not we wanted to publish that particular piece of information, mm. because if you're a, uh, you know, if you're using the dark web for good reasons, that's something you would want to know in order to secure your website. But if you're one of the bad guys, it's another thing that law enforcement might use to find you, which has been closed off. Yeah, yeah. Um, and provider at or something, that right? time, the decision that the people who were involved in that came to was to not reveal that advice and so I'm going to plead the fifth again today I think and say (laughs) there are things that we could say about securing your dark website they're out there you can go and learn them I don't want to be a source of information right yeah for that no so I'm not going to say anything okay so Greg this is going to come as a surprise to you but uh, October is National Cyber Security Awareness Month oh oh last episode I was made aware of Cyber Awareness Month have you Have you been practicing lots of extra awareness activities? No, no, no. I just made sure I was aware that it's Cyber Awareness Month. The next thing I need to know is go and figure out what on earth I'm meant to be aware about. Well, let me tell you. To make me more aware. I can tell you something. What is cyber? (laughs) It's the thing you're supposed to be aware of. Okay, enlighten me. Actually, cyber security. You can see why it's been going for 15 years now, can't you? So it's a hard slog. (laughs) What, this podcast episode? (laughs) (laughs) does feel like it. Sorry, that was kind Um, of mean. So our intern Harry, uh, we were asking him for to come up with some some story ideas, and he said, "When I buy a laptop, what are the things I need to do to secure it within the first hour, two hours that I've got it back at home?" So we asked, uh, I asked Maria Valmazis, one of our writers, to um, to put it down on paper or on screen, and so these are the tips. So I'm going to read them. I'm to listening. You. It's about time we learned this. Exactly, Greg. <laughs> Buckle up. Um, number one, have a plan for your data. That's a great tip. Do you want to? Touch and I'm on? not saying that just because I told Maria to put that on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to tell? To be fair to her, so Maria emailed and said, "Does anybody get anything yeah, that we that we need to add to this?" And I said, "Please make sure you put in something about the data on the old laptop, because if you're buying a laptop, mm. there's a good chance that you're buying it as a replacement for something else. Yeah. If you have the luxury of having a a working healthy laptop and you're going to replace it with something else, that's great. Um, And you've got lots of time to make sure you work out how you're going to get your data from your old one onto your new one. Mm. Um, And I've been in a few situations where, basically I've had laptops die on me. I had a laptop die on me the day before I started the first job working for myself. (laughs) 
<laughs> what a this great way to start. This is why I need to do my song again. And luckily I had a proper backup solution in place. And so having figured out, you know, it took me, basically you give it about half an hour to try and fix the laptop. And if that doesn't work, you just go out and buy a new one because your job depends on it. And your money bags. And thank goodness that you've got a proper backup solution in place. So make sure you understand, you know, there's all sorts of good reasons for having backups, not least, you know, it's your last port of call if you get struck with ransomware. Yep. But understand where your data is going to go before you get the laptop and before you do anything with it. Great advice. Greg, this is number two for you. Um, make sure you apply all the available updates. Ooh, that's excellent advice. Yeah, I mean, especially you just bought like a new machine. Yeah. Who knows how long it's been sat in the box and you need to make sure you do the upgrades and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, if anyone follows me on Twitter, all of the hundred and some people that are really sad and actually seem to follow me for some reason, I think I regularly I retweet. Um, oh, yeah, I you. follow you. What are you saying about everyone? Is this everyone in this room? You yeah, that's You and all your, you. your bots, isn't it? But, uh, the, is the, that the, it? Is that the total? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it, it, the I always have to repeat, just patch your, sorry, what were we saying? Sugar, honey, iced tea. Yeah. Patch your sugar, honey, iced tea. Um, because people don't seem to patch enough or, or frequently. I always see people delaying it. Like the perfect example is like, especially people like my, my, my mother, for instance, mm. um, because she's in the middle of doing something. So she doesn't want to do the update because she knows it's going to shut down her computer and it spins there for hours on end. Um, also, do you think if, you, if you're just coming in cold, like you, you're not from a cybersecurity background, you're coming in to a brand new laptop, would it even occur to most people that they need to apply updates or would they think they're just getting something straight out of the box? It, it's going to work. It's yeah, gonna so, you know, diving straight onto the internet, start accessing lots of yeah, websites totally. and so on. But yeah. actually, you could be Maybe several months out of some software that you need. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think so, the thing is, if you're buying a laptop in a box from a shop, that's probably the one situation where you can absolutely guarantee it's out of date. So tip number three, once you've installed your updates, you need to make sure that your auto updates are turned on. Yes. Yes. You should do that. Yes. That seems really silly not to. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm one of those people that absolutely hates the idea of just not always applying updates all the time. I know that sounds kind of crazy, maybe a bit kind of cavalier, but I just, I don't see, if there's an update available, I just apply it. I would rather yeah. stay ahead of the curve um, because in my head, I guess the theory is that someone will find a vulnerability in something that's older and wouldn't have had time to look at a later patch and had enough time to scrutinize it and so on. Mm -hmm. So by staying constantly patched and so on, it at least keeps me as far ahead as I can possibly ever be um, from being compromised. And if you don't have auto updates turned on, it's just down to you to manually do it. And when do you manually go, oh, what do you know what I want to do right now? Yeah, exactly. I want to apply some updates and sit here and watch my computer spin around. Yeah. So and yeah, the, it, it makes sense. for the lay person, it's much easier to turn on auto yeah. updates than have to remember. I think, I think Windows 10's made that almost impossible, but I know Mac are still, I think, I don't know if they'll change it in the next version coming out in a couple of weeks, but mm. currently you'll still say, do you want to turn it yeah. on? And it's kind of give it a real choice to you. Um, which might be dangerous. Who knows? I don't know. Mm. I think it's, uh, you know, I can kind of hear sysadmins' eyes rolling into the backs of their yeah. heads as we say this. So it's probably worth pointing out that, you know, if you're a systems administrator for a big company, different rules might apply. You know, you've got all sorts of concerns around system uptime. Mm. And, Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of nervousness about Microsoft patches at the moment, yeah, for example. Yeah. Um, but, you know, these tips were for consumers buying a laptop for themselves and maybe a few yep. other people. And I think in that situation, the sort of the bang for buck of turning on all up the auto updates. Yeah. Uh, it, well, basically it's a no brainer. Yeah. You know, you're, you're much, much better off having auto updates and riding out any problems that might come from that than, yeah. than thinking that you're going to, you know, test the waters. 
I guess in our audience also should, I have to bear in mind, we come from a, a different you know viewpoint on this. Like we have a different perspective on, yeah, on sure. patches and so on. I, you know, I totally appreciate that some admins out there, like there's some mission critical software, which just, they can't run that mm. risk. You know, maybe you work in the medical industry, you can't run that risk of patching that machine. What if you lose it? People's lives could genuinely be at risk. Um, I guess it just comes from our perspective is that we see the lack of patching so frequently abused. Like every time I've mm. heard of a case where someone's yep. been compromised, it's usually because they haven't patched something, they've made a mistake in the configuration of something. It's usually something that could have been avoided yeah. by just doing these best practices. So I guess we always say rule of thumb, auto updates on, patch everything. And then our admins out there who know then when other situations they shouldn't be doing that, of course, apply your own logic. And uh, I mean, you know, there's a reason why they're uh, admins and, and they're trained. And if know you know doing. why that doesn't work yeah. for you, mm. then you're qualified to make that decision. I think it's a good yeah. caveat. And hopefully Hopefully that'll save us from some hate mail. <laughs> Nothing saves me from hate mail. Oh, Greg. I just I'll call it mail at this nice. point. And I, is that Aww. from your mum? <laughs> Dear Fido. <laughs> oh, this is going to stick, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Oh. Um, another no-brainer. Make sure you've got good security software installed. Oh. Software time. Software Yeah, that sounds like a cracking idea, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Shameless self-work. Software is a no-brainer, though. Particularly if you've got more than... Uh, if, if you've got more than one computer to look after. Oh, right, for sure. okay, yeah, because it... Because, like, for, for real, yeah. if you, you know, so I use it, I'm running it, it's on a few other people's laptops that I look after as well, and being able to do that just makes life easier. Mm. It almost sounds like a marketing pitch, right? It does, and I don't want it to sound like a marketing pitch, because in, in some ways I don't feel like I've got a dog in this fight. You know, we could <laughs> we could not mention Sophos Home. Yeah. And nobody would care like there are a bunch of good free antivirus yeah, products out there and you should make sure that one of them is on your laptop if you ask me honestly i would say use software home particularly if you've got multiple laptops to look after mm -hmm. number five install a password manager number six you... use it yeah, number six user. <laughs> the amount of people, honestly, I've seen that have a password manager, but they still get to the point where they're like, oh, I, I couldn't be bothered with it. And they just end up reusing passwords and saving their reused passwords no. into their password manager instead of using the random password generation feature. That's kind of like the, I, in my opinion, that's like, that's the point of a password manager. Every password's random and you store it in there so you don't have to know them. Yeah. But I still see a lot of people use it as a password manager to store their hideously insecure password they use everywhere. Wow, that's... And it, I, yeah, I've literally seen yeah. it where, like, and that's why there's, like, checkers built into things like LastPass and so on, where it will actually audit your passwords and tell you, hey, you're you're reusing these things. Mm. But, yeah, if you're going to... I mean, I, I, I always talk about password managers. I, I honestly think it's one of the, the single biggest decisions you can make to move your security needle towards, you know, the more mm. secure. Yeah. Um, and they'll also, they help protect you against phishing, don't they? Because they, they auto-populate. And data your, breaches. I mean, if yeah. I lose one account, I mean, hopefully it's not something important like my, my primary email address or something. But if something is breached, that I'm minimizing the fallout because it's just that one set of credentials that only work in one place. Yeah. Um, and you're not going to be able to use that to then break into any of my other accounts and, and cause further havoc. Mm. And it's worth bearing in mind that if you've installed a web browser, there's a good chance you've installed a password manager already. Right, okay, and yeah. I, I've been through this process with some uh, relatives of mine that, you know, we say every week, you know, use a password manager because it really, really is good advice. Mm. Um, but the fact is that there are people out there for whom that is a big job. Yeah. You know, it's difficult for them to understand why it's important. It's difficult for them to get it all set up. And I found with one of those people, actually, the easiest way to do it was to use the built-in password manager in Google Chrome. Mm. And I wouldn't necessarily go there normally. But in that case, I thought, 
you know, this that's the only way this is going to happen. Still so don't, don't rule it out. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, having a password manager of any kind, I suggest even a notebook with your passwords written in it is better than reusing passwords. Absolutely. Um, number six, dump the bloatware. Oh. <laughs> Over to you, Greg. I, as you can tell, I'm opinionated about this one. Every device that you yeah. buy that, you know, anytime a computer's quite cheap, mm. it just seems to be that the lower the price, the more bloat that you seem to get with a laptop. And that's a sweeping statement, but I, I, I from my, my limited experience it's like with- like they're subsidising the cost somehow. It is, it is <laughs> almost like that. I, I, that's a real problem. You know, you get all of these computers and it does come with a whole bunch of software you don't need. And mm. with the kind of supply chain attacks we're seeing and so on, you know, minimise your attack surface. It goes back to what um, kind of Mark pointed out back earlier. To the right? wisdom of Elon. Right. In the beginning of the podcast, it all just comes back around in a big yeah. circle, doesn't it? I should say that the wisdomous reference was a friend's reference. If no one else got it, that's fine. But it wasn't just me not knowing. I'll finish up. So, yeah, the... So yeah, bloatware is just, it, it is a more attack surface mm. than you need. Yeah. Um, uninstall anything, any application on your computer that you don't need. I mean, sometimes it might be important to the use of the machine. So you're going to have to audit, see what piece of software does what. But in general, you know, you get a lot of uh, additional applications that just don't give you any kind of benefit. Um, same thing always happens with printers, actually. My, my, I'm, if anyone's ever talked to me about printers, I hate peripherals in general. But printers are still to this day my biggest hated technology ever because you download like the printer suite of software and all I want is a driver mm. to print things but instead I get the the <laughs> yeah. photo manager the photo editor the why is this driver 150 troll, megabytes yeah, <laughs> like 20 different demons the sys tray icon all these things I was like I don't need any of this I yeah. just want to be able to click print yep. for that four times a year I print my character sheet in Dungeons and Dragons you know and <laughs> but that's the, not what they want Greg that's not what, that's they, not want, what they want <laughs> so yeah remove blow um, it's going to do you favours it'll speed up your, your machine uh, free up some you know much desired disk space Mm -hmm. uh, and hopefully reduce your attack surface as yeah. well. This has made me think about the fleeceware we were talking about last week. And the um, knitwear. I had to, and the kn <laughs> knitwear, which I definitely didn't think was a thing. <laughs> Coming next, <laughs> the new mower, knitwear, followed by crochet wear. I should probably pay more attention to what you're saying, but Maybe. I just was like, yeah. Not many people um, do. Anyway, I tried to install a scanner last night because I needed to install something. So I needed to scan something and uh, it said it was free, but it had in-app purchases. And I thought, oh, they're going to upsell something to me. And had I not been paying attention to it, it said you had three days and then it's forty seven ninety nine, and you have to remove it in your oh, settings. Oh, wow. no way. Yeah. So three like, oh. days. Yeah, three days. Wow. It's going to be forty seven ninety nine, and that's what I was scanning was not worth that much money. Yeah. So, and this I, is post-purchasing a scanner as well? No, no, no. It was a, it was a free. I do everything for free. Oh, okay. On my, it's a free okay. app. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, fine. yeah. No, I'll try and get as much as I can for free, Greg. <laughs> Hashtag frugal. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven. Give everyone their own account. Yes, and and maybe yourself as well. Okay. So laptops, <laughs> computers have come a long way. Um, back in the olden days, oh, you know, back you, in my day, yeah, the ZX Spectrum. <laughs> Did they you, have computers in your day? It was called an abacus. <laughs> they and arrived it, and late. That was killer. They yeah. arrived late. <laughs> I do remember. I remember the first BBC BBC B Micro. I remember my dad coming home with a BBC oh. Micro, and he pulled this computer out. And it's this giant, giant beige keyboard thing. Yeah. It's a beautiful machine. And you look at it and you I knew, I was young enough or old enough to realise, oh, this is a computer and this is something special. Yeah. Uh, and then we just kind of looked at it. Like, <laughs> what do okay, we do? it's amazing. What does it do? <laughs> 10 print, and then hello. It takes, it takes ages to actually make it do something. You have to go and find something to plug it into. It's just yeah. a basic interpreter, isn't it? You have to type yeah. a programme into it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, back to user accounts. Yeah. Yeah, so each individual person who uses the computer needs their own account. If you don't do that, then you've started using passwords. And you've also created an opportunity for everybody on the computer to run into everybody else, accidentally deleting each other's data. It's much... It, it's uh, It's the right thing to do, and it's what you should do in all computing environments. So do it on your laptop. Yep. Uh, not just... Yeah, so do it on your laptop, basically. Um and you might also want to consider creating two accounts for yourself. So you might want to create an administrator account for yourself that you only use when you are administering the computer and then a user account which you only use when you're using computer programs. Mm -hmm. And then that way, if something bad happens to you when you're the user, the bad thing, the malware, whatever's uh, affected you, has your rights and doesn't have rights to administer the computer. Right, yeah. Now, actually, the truth is, on modern computers, they're very good at separating those things out. So you don't get like a suit... You, when you turn the laptop on, you're using it in a kind of privileged role, but not an administrator role. And you have to, uh, on both Mac and Windows, you have to, um, I don't know, what's the word? You elevate your privileges. You elevate your yeah. privileges. Like what, what is UAC it on Windows? So it's, it's UAC on Windows. UAC. So yeah. it's sudo on Mac mm -hmm. and it's UAC on Windows. And that's just a way of saying, okay, now I want to be the administrator. Now I want those extra special rights. Yeah. And you should, and it, it sort of keeps you in that elevated position for a short period of time for you to carry out administrative job and then you get dropped back down to being a normal user again. It's a little bit cleaner to have two completely separate accounts, yeah. but it is a bit of a faff and realistically uh, kind of most normal laptop purchases are not going to do it. Yeah, if it's just you on your own laptop, I guess you're going to be installing lots. Of, if you're installing lots of software, you're probably not going to want to have to right-click, run as, and pick a different user. Mm. But there is actually, I mean, this is still really good advice. Let's say you're setting up a computer for uh, a young member of your family or maybe an elderly member of your family that doesn't have the confidence with a computer. You know, if they don't need to be installing software, they don't need admin privileges, yep. by not giving them an admin account, by giving them a user account, should a piece of malware, you know, get onto your computer mm -hmm. and try to elevate itself, it can't. So it does certainly, again, re reduces your attack surface. And again, it, it kind of means that they're less likely to be able to install dodgy software and things like that because they haven't got admin privileges. So, yep. um, yeah, certainly if you're one of those lucky IT people that has to manage and be their family's IT guy and so on, this is, this is an activity I've done myself uh, for members and it is pretty helpful. There's, a, there's another good reason for doing that as well. So last year I set up an old Mac laptop for my children to use. And we set up all the parental controls, so it's good that you want to have separate mm. accounts so that you can have, you know, they're not the same age, the two kids, so you, you maybe want separate, like slightly different setups uh, with your parental controls. But one of the really super useful things was it was a great opportunity to introduce them to having their own password. Oh, so creating yeah. their own accounts yeah. was the sort of, it was the thing that we used to teach them, okay, you've got a password yeah. and your sibling's got a password and you don't tell anybody what your password is. So the first thing that we've taught them about passwords, we, it's, it's, we discovered too difficult to teach a young child how to come up with a complex password. Mm. Yeah. But it is very easy to teach them that their password is theirs and it's a secret and they don't tell anybody else. And we actually have a game in our family where starting that day, we said, right, if anybody asks your password, you don't tell them, mm. even if I ask you. Yeah. Because I'm an administrator on that computer. If I need to see what they're doing, if I need to find out what they're doing or yeah. do whatever, I've got the access rights to do that. So I don't need their password. Talking of handing your kids a computer, we asked on uh, Twitter. Oh, yeah, we did, yeah. What's the best first computer for kids? Hot off the press, because this is only just closed. Um, we asked, is it iPad, PlayStation, Raspberry Pi or Chromebook? What do you think won? 
I would really hate it if it was something like PlayStation. Not that I don't like PlayStation, but I don't class that as like a, com- a general purpose computing yeah. device. So I, my vote's on Raspberry Pi here. So fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it wasn't PlayStation, then I'm guessing that it wasn't kids voting. <laughs> <laughs> it was Raspberry Pi. Hi! Yay! Fantastic. With 41%. It's a fantastic little device. Super mm. cheap. Uh, it's You can put any kind of type of Linux on yep. it. There's loads of educational ones for it. But my favourite thing about them is the sheer fact that it's just a motherboard. So you get to have the fun of like, let's put it together. Let's mm. put it in a case. Let's. It's it's a little bit more hands-on and tactile yep. versus something like a PlayStation, which I think you actually void the warranty if you open it up. Yeah, yeah. There, There is a bit of that whole BBC Micro quality as well, though. Like, you know, my dad coming home with the BBC mm. Micro and we were like, woo now what does it do I've got a Raspberry Pi at home and last summer I got the Raspberry Pi I showed it to the kids Mm. and they went ooh now what does it do show Mm, us the games like okay right well you just need to load an operating system (laughs) so I think in reality uh, an iPad is a great choice that's what I have for my son the digital babysitter Cool. Thanks, guys. Where can we find you on social media, Greg? Uh, you can find me at, at Secbug on Reddit and just Secbug on Twitter. Wait, it's the other way around, but the same <laughs> thing goes. It's the same username. You're fine. Just search for Secbug. Yeah. Mark? You can find me at Mark Stockley and at Internet of Hens, both on Twitter. And I am at Anna Brading on Twitter and we are at Naked Security on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Naked Security and that is where we do our weekly Facebook Live videos. We'll probably be doing one tomorrow or the day after. Um, If you like our podcast, please rate and review it because we need more reviews and it helps other people to find us. Tweet us at Naked Security with your suggestions or questions for the podcast or you can email us at tips at softfoss.com. And until next time, stay stay secure. secure.